Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most probably listening through a pair of headphones, which means I have the perfect sponsor with the perfect product for you. It's Studio, and they want to revolutionize the way people see headphones. Generally, fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality, and the high-tech ones are bulky and not design-orientated. Studio bridge that gap while emphasizing sleek, modern Scandinavian design. To get a 15% discount on any of their wares, go to studiosweden.com which is spelled s-u-d-i-o sweden.com and simply put in the code d-t-d when purchasing a pair of headphones this month's agora network featured podcast is american biography a podcast by thomas daly which is dedicated to examining the lives of important and influential but less discussed americans who paid an integral if underappreciated role in the evolution of the United States. Now, Thomas is somebody who I'm somewhat in awe of. He has got a brain the size of a planet and he's a rather clever and engaging speaker. So if you want to delve into American history and don't just do the you know the big rock stars of it, your Roosevelt's and your Lincolns and your Washingtons. Um, I highly recommend this podcast. It's called American Biography. Go and find it on a podcatcher of your choice. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm a Facebook agnostic Royfield Brown in a uh, sunny spring-like Bay Area. Today we're joined by the angry Vox Populi voice of the people, that is Jerno. Mick Wright. Are you in Norwich, Mick? Yeah, I am. I'm in my office in Norwich. Cool. And by author, thinker and skier, Chris Coturner, who is just returned back from somewhere near Innsbruck in London. In a week that has seen Facebook's share price fall, we ask, is the Cambridge Analytica and Facebook scandal a belated moral reckoning for Silicon Valley? 
Facebook stock was down 7%, losing $36 billion in shareholder value. All of this follows reports over the weekend that Facebook may have mishandled data for more than 50 million users. That allowed Cambridge Analytica, a consulting firm once employed by the campaigns of Donald Trump, to access data to try to sway users' votes. More on this now from Nicholas Thompson, editor-in-chief of Wired magazine. The revelations that have panicked Facebook executives and spooked its investors started here at London-based Cambridge Analytica's offices. The brainchild of now 28-year-old co-founder Christopher Wiley. He claims the research firm used voters' social media data to influence them. All of these pieces of information put together create a a, a portrait, a digital portrait of, of who you are. Cambridge Analytica worked for Senator Ted Cruz and then for Donald Trump. The idea was to put 2016 political advertising on steroids by very specifically targeting certain people. Here's how it happened. In 2014, a company called Global Science Research used Facebook to distribute a personality quiz to analyze whether users were extroverted or neurotic. But it actually harvested the psychological data from all the users and with permission got access to some of the data on their Facebook friends. It then sold the data to Cambridge Analytica, which used it to create targeted political advertising. In total, some 50 million Americans may have been impacted. Facebook exposed data on 50 million Facebook users to a researcher who worked at Cambridge Analytica who had ties to the Trump campaign. A similar number of Facebook users were also exposed in the UK. Chris, did Cambridge Analytica help swing the last US election and the Vote Leave campaign in the UK? Uh, okay, so um, I guess by way of preamble. So, I mean, I, I, I've been in the Alps for the last few days and, you know, trying to reconnect with nature and have a lovely time. And and in the back of my mind, the, this whole week. No, no, no. So in the back of my mind, this whole week is, like, you know, I wonder, I'm, I'm not going to try to look at the news, but I wonder what's going to happen, right, over mm-hmm. these next few days. And, you know, what are the headlines that I'm going to come back to? And um, surprise, surprise. Uh, you know, Trump has done something again and social media has torn up democracy again. And uh, I mean, same old, <laughs> same old, same old. Um, I mean, so, I, so we briefly, what's, what I think is great about this news story is it's, it's putting front and center mm, the, the, the risks and the vulnerabilities that, that I mean, like really, I mean, we were just ignoring from day one, they've, all, they've always been there, right? That, that this data is being produced and it's being scraped away. And if someone has malicious intent, you know, what might they be able to do with that data? And so I think we're just catching up and, and, and suddenly become aware of some of the ways that it has been used in ways that we ourselves as the, as the Facebook users didn't intend. Um, you know, but maybe one of the most troubling things about this news headline is, you know, there are probably dozens of other equally disturbing stories uh, that, that we just aren't aware of yet. Mm. One thing which I was really struck by this whole story is, number one, I must admit, I'm not that bothered. Be- but maybe it's because I'm a little bit too inside baseball and I knew this was going on anyway. And part of my surprise is the fact that Everybody seems to be surprised. Well, we use this thing for free. What what do we think they were doing with our data? What's your take on it, Mick? Well, I've got to go on Radio 4 on Thursday on a show called The Long View. And on that show, they're comparing it to um, a loss of faith in the church uh, in the like 18th century. 
um, because that show compares a, a, some a big issue from the past with it with a contemporary issue. The thing I would say about this is, no, this didn't win the election for Trump. And this week, Jeff Zucker from CNN, cheeky bastard, has been out there blaming it on Fox News. But CNN, regularly during the campaign, would cut to an empty podium waiting for Trump to come on, on, on at least two occasions, while Hillary Clinton was actually doing a speech that they could have cut to. So, no, this had a, this was a factor, right? And there definitely is good a good solid suggestion that there was uh, Russian psyops at work in the US, right? And did Cambridge Analytica have some role in that? To some extent, probably because they, you know, we know that they reached out to Julian Assange and things like this. But the interesting thing about Cambridge Analytica is it may actually come to pass that they're more shysters tricking the people who think their data is very powerful than actually... Uh, being that powerful as a data company. But what's interesting, I think, is is that they are a company of, um, basically, they're election dirt wranglers, really. I, I was saying earlier to someone, if, if, if Nixon was alive now and he was a candidate now, he'd use Cambridge Analytica. I mean, you know, look, the, the, the expose from Channel 4 with these guys showed them saying that they would get sex workers to set people up and they'd make dodgy footage and all this kind of stuff. So you're talking about people who are, data is only one part of their dirty little pie. So, and, and saying people are surprised, I'm kind of a bit tired of this eye rolling from the kind of digerati kind of people going, oh, well, you know, we all knew Facebook did this. Yet people know that their data is used. The issue here is not that the data was used, but that it was used deceptively in the sense that this academic, and by the way, he didn't work for Cambridge Analytica. He just sold the data to them, and he sold it to a few other people as well. This academic said, I'm going to use this data um, for academic purposes, and also here's a personality quiz you get to do, right? That's the issue. The people knew they were sharing their data. What they didn't know was they were sharing it to then be sold. And also, the issue is, of course, that we kind of think of our data on Facebook as like, we build a castle, we build a wall around our data, and we let who we want in. But of course, every friend is able to walk through the wall. And when they do, whoever they bring with them gets to look at your data too. And that's the issue. And if you go and look in your Facebook data, you'll see what apps your friends are using that have shared data related to you. And that's the issue. Although it doesn't really happen anymore because Facebook changed its platform policy in 2015, follow it 2014, and then subsequently in 2015, following a previous Guardian story about these issues. Mm, so you're having a go at me then, then Mick, yeah? <laughs> that was the subtext that I heard as well, yeah. A certain level of balance and also correcting a factual error you made in the intro. And really, that's good Good of me to, to be here just to keep up the standards that we've become so used to. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Mick. I was just going to jump in and say, you know, I, so listening to the thing Mick was saying, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the bigger story that this all just goes to show is in, in so many dimensions, you know, we're, like we're children playing with fire, right? Like we, we are really... Um, naive adolescents handling powerful tools and, and and you know whether we're looking at us as sort of individual you know, what like cyber citizens and you know it's pretty clear that there needs to be informed consent 
around our data, but you know, like the the, the companies that are producing and the law but firms Chris, that are producing Chris, these Chris, these how, sort of disclosures, how, disclaimers for us to sign. I mean, we we don't really understand to be educated exactly, about yeah. uh, exactly. Uh, so uh, how can we understand? Listen though, uh, Rick, uh, the, and I'm going to speak up for for lawmakers for once. GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation that is coming in, in across Europe and does have global ramifications. One of the big parts of that is, is trying to bring an end to these privacy policies that are not readable by humans. One of the requirements of GDPR is that you have to write this stuff in a way that a, that a, an, a layman can understand and use human language. So these things are changing and people are trying to change that. It's just not easy. Oh, and, and I completely agree. And I mean, I have to adapt to GDPR myself with you know, some of the organizations that I'm involved in. So, it, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, it's encouraging to see that we are trying to catch up. The challenge, I think, is that, you know, anything that involves the law, you know, anything that involves our habits, you know, our behaviors, it kind of, you know, it all evolves very slowly. It moves at evolutionary speed. Uh, but everything in the technological sphere and and you know, the risks, you know, what Cambridge Analytica is doing, what Cambridge is coming up with, it, 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 it's moving at revolutionary speed, right? So we're always playing catch up, and you know that's kind of how politics works. That how that's how democracy works. And I guess maybe one of the fears is that, you know, as the pace of change gets faster and faster, as the scale of change gets bigger and bigger, how how much bigger a risk does the gap? you know, uh, between sort of us moving at evolutionary speed and, and the technology changing at revolutionary speed, how, how much, how much bigger risk does that gap make for, for all of us, for society, for how our government functions? Here's the thing, there's a question for you, Mick, right? If we are the product on social media, shouldn't we be, be paid for our output from these companies? Then wouldn't that make the whole transaction much more equitable. Yeah, I've been saying this for a long time, and I actually think it's going to happen. And, it, and it, but it ties into a much wider societal thing, which is this. And you know, it's why a lot of people are talking about universal basic in, income now. More and more, the economy will be fueled around uh, data and interactions between people because the more traditional stuff will be done by robots or by AI or by a combination of, you know, those kind of things. And unless you're a robot engineer, you're going to have less work to do, right? Or you're a knowledge worker like the three of us are to a certain extent. So, yeah, I think it, we are going to move to a point where actually there's kind of a digital dividend where you you are paid a amount by these companies for being present on there and doing things that you do. It still will be tiny compared to what they actually earn. But yeah, I think that actually could happen. Um, and it would be better if it did. But even then, you would have to have transparency in knowing what you're selling, you know, because you have children and you don't want your children's pictures to be used in uh, fashion ads, right? Because you put them on Facebook and you're selling your data and suddenly your kid is the face of whatever. And more, the other aspect to that is, you know, I, I, I wrote recently about um, a new type of pornography called deep fake. And it's where people use relatively sophisticated software that can take a number of photos of you and map your face onto pornography. That's the image rights are going to become more important as time goes on because 
currently really only celebrities have to worry about image rights. But when anyone can create virtual pornography of you, revenge porn is suddenly different. When anyone can take your face and make you, you know, the the face of a chocolate bar, suddenly it's about, um, you know, th- these things become more complicated and image rights are more interesting and data is more complicated. And, you know, people look at Instagram and say, well, Instagram's kind of better compared to Facebook because Instagram's only pictures. But of course, those pictures have value and there's been plenty of cases of brands stealing pictures from there. So technology is also that kind of um, watermark um, in a hidden way our, our, our information and our data will become more common. So look, we are evolving and we're, I think we're in the early Wild West stages, even though it feels like we've been here for a long time and Facebook has been around a long time and its antecedents were around a long time before that, we're still in the very early stages of it. Does that make sense? Great. No, listen, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, well put. And you've put a, a certain amount of clarity and slapped me across the chops in this discussion um, so far, Mick. And so uh, bravo to you, sir. Um, Chris, it, this scandal has come about, and Mick was really good to break this down and say there is the harvesting of the data, is then it's what was done with the data, then there is Cambridge Analytica and their huckster shyster way. So we've broken all the way down. Let's put Cambridge Analytica completely to one side, because I absolutely can completely agree with Mick that they could end up being described as, you know, hucksters. Now, if they're talking about... Um, recruiting sex workers for some Sri Lankan uh, political campaign. That's nothing per se to do with social media and whatever. That's another aspect of, of their machinations and whatever. But do you think if we go back to the key thing here, which is our data and how it can be manipulated by whomever, and I would actually say primarily that is that is Facebook, are is it significant that we, that this scandal has come about because of political uh, manipulation of our data as opposed to us being manipulated to do with our consumer habits? Because we, we mm-hmm. surf on the internet all day long and we know that if we've just bought something on Amazon or somewhere else, all of a sudden we're served up with, with ads for related products. So why don't we care about our consumer habits being manipulated? What, <laughs> why is it that this scandal is broken now because of potential political manipulation what does that say about us hmm that's that's a really good question because i you know one thing that i guess it's surprising in a sense that we aren't more wary about you know the enormous valuations of you know the the facebook's and and the googles of this world when the only the, really, the only thing in their business model that actually makes money is selling us advertising, right? And and so there is just an enormous industry of trying to get better and better at getting us to pour our time and attention and sort of every little data point about what makes us tick and, and what makes us buy things um, so that we can be manipulated. And, you know, it's... It, it, it's remarkable how how sophisticated you know some of this some of these algorithms are becoming to the point of you know sort of just getting a sense of hmm maybe I'm th- this person is starting to exhibit some some stress behaviors at work and so we start to serve them more ads for you know beach holidays and things like that and and I think it was just my idea but no actually some 
some travel agency paid money to plant in my mind the idea that maybe I'd like to take a beach holiday. Um, you know, and, and, and I think probably, you know, and I think it has to do so many of the, the, the risks and vulnerabilities of sort of the digital age that the reason that we kind of galvanize around the political is that it's what is, is made visible to us, right? There's this thing, you know, Russia and influencing our election. There's this company, Cambridge Analytica. And so it's a story around which uh, eyeballs gather. And, and then we, you know, we kind of align on one side of the story or the other. And so that becomes the, that becomes the, the case. That becomes the example through which we then explore these bigger issues but, you know, the story around, you know, manipulating our consumption habits, I mean, the, that story is 100 years old, right? I mean, that goes back to sort of, you know, early uh, development of consumer culture, you know, trying to build a consumer economy after World War One to get the economy going, you know. And, and, and so it's just become so accepted, I think, that, uh, you know, advertisers are going to try to manipulate our purchases that, the fact that it's happening in a new forum, it doesn't it doesn't strike people as as, as worrying anymore. It's just sort of part of how the world works. But people still had a you know a, 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 maybe it's just the mythology that we tell ourselves that you know when it comes to politics we're we're making a free choice, right? There, there's some element of of mm, of, of independence of, of of an exercise of our thinking and our and our choice making and. And, and we haven't yet become so cynical, um, really, to, to fully buy into the fact that you know, that choice is probably in some ways manufactured, too. And, and so it's more confronting for us. That, that's, my, that's my quick sense of it. Mm. Uh, Mick, kind of Chris points at a minority report world, you know, which uh, looks at our, what we do now and predicts what we might do in the future. And the novelist John Lanchester says that, Facebook is the biggest surveillance-based enterprise in the history of mankind. How can we counter it, Mick? How can we counter its... Uh, it's no doubt uh, it has benefits. I quite like the fact that I can send pics of my kids to my mum uh, through Facebook. And increasingly, I use Facebook really for, for Messenger. Um, but how can we counter some of the more um, pernicious aspects of this of this face uh this social media giant uh well john lancaster is full of shit to be honest um it might be but that was a pretty spot on no uh, i just disagree man. like i don't know man like people love to go on about how it's the panopticon and all this kind of stuff but like i tell you what that is it's just writers who love drama and i love drama man it's real easy to write this shit oh you know it's like 1984 ministry of truth mark zuckerberg the our future fascist leader like nah like the, mick 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 they you are my answer listen we're we're having a conversation oh yeah but you asked me you see just now i, I you asked me a question and I'm not allowed to continue to get to the point that I need to. You, you are, but I just needed a little moment of clarification, right? I cannot think in the history of humankind of a more successful surveillance based media than this. Ah, right. Even I the you had to go with media because I was going to say the Stasi. Well, 
you, you look at you look at uh, the KGB and whatever, right? But what they didn't do is have, let's say, 60-70% of Russians actually co-opted into it who were happily playing along with the KGB. Well, no, that's wrong. You, that, that's an assertion that's totally wrong. Yeah, not Russia, but in East Germany, certainly. When you, when you look into the files of the Stasi, you find that the level of cooperation and collaboration was huge. Like, virtually everyone was a Stasi informant of some kind. All right. Let's let's say let's say that you were right, and let's say the population of the, of the GDR was well, it was it was less than twenty million. Let's say it was twenty million for the sake of argument, and then let's say that the adult population of Eastern Germany was just for the sake of argument twelve million. Right, just for the sake of argument, I'm not going to be wildly wrong there. And let's say that out of that twelve million. 80% of them were playing along with the Stasi. I don't believe that would be the case, but let's just say for argument. So let's say approximately 10 million, right? Facebook has over 1.3 billion users. So it's much larger. Might not be as, as evil, as, as, as pernicious as, as the Stasi was in Eastern Germany, but it's magnitudes bigger. So John Lanchester's... Uh, assertion that it's the biggest surveillance-based enterprise in the history of mankind has some validity. No, no, no. i tell you why it does. Like, it sort of does if you want to go down that line. But the fact is, like, does Mark Zuckerberg actually give a shit about you as an individual? No. Does Facebook? No. Facebook sells you... In aggregate, right? So you are a man of a certain age who likes, say, records, buying stuff for his daughters and, you know, talking shit on podcasts, right? You are not. You as an, <laughs> you, you as an individual. You're slapping me across the face again. You me, as you? an individual are meaningless to them. So the notion of this is like a... like. We're only useful in aggregate, right? Because I've run Facebook ads for stuff, as I'm pretty sure you have. Um, and you're not, it's not like spying on individuals. It's about, I want to target women who love ballroom dancing and fancy this particular person, right? And they've willingly said, like liked loads of ballroom dancing shit. So you go, okay, they love ballroom dancing. The notion of it, like, as this kind of... The, the reason Facebook is worrying as a surveillance-type idea is because of the nation-state and the notion that all this information is there and nation-states can access it. So why are we worried about Cambridge Analytica? Cambridge Analytica works for dodgy regimes, um, including the Tory party, um, and that is the worry, if people like that get the data from Facebook, they'll do dodgy things. Facebook is just a bunch of people who like to make a load of money and sell us in aggregate to marketers to sell us things. Are they efficient at it? Yes. But the other interesting thing is people enjoy Facebook ads a lot more than traditional advertising. And why is that? Because they advertise you shit that you actually want to buy. So earlier on, I went onto Facebook to see what ads did I get today. I got ads for some t-shirts that look pretty cool. I got ads for a reduced price subscription to the New York Times. Now, obviously, I'd rather take sandpaper to my bollocks than read the New York Times at this point. But they're bang on the money that I'm someone who'd be interested in reading, you know, the so-called paper of record. 
And then there's something else here, like, you know, advertising some hip-hop event, which I'd be into. So in a way, like, we say we hate advertising, but what we actually hate is advertising that's intrusive or advertises things we don't want. So it's, it's, it's more complicated. And to say, our oh, surveillance state, blah, 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 the real surveillance state is the actual nation state. You know, I live, and, and you sometimes live, in a country, the UK, which has more CCTV per capita than anywhere else in Europe. That's the real surveillance state, you know, or the NSA in the US. Facebook's problem is it's a massive bucket of data that these bad actors can access. And why does Cambridge Analytica worry us? Because, the, because of the thought that the Russians use this information to do their dirty Russian deeds. Boris and Natasha running all around in the Facebook data. Uh, very eloquently put. <laughs> but when, and, and, and you have a point when you say that Facebook isn't, that concerned about the individual but have you ever tried to delete your facebook account they don't want you to no, do they it. don't because they don't because they work on the network effect so you deleting your facebook account has- so the individual does no 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 no, 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 no. because you try and delete that yeah, thing yeah, but- it, right and it says, are you sure? Are you sure? There's a 30-day waiting period for you to cool off. And even when you delete it, it's held in a That's by the by. So you, That's so, by the by, though. That's, you, that. no, but, but my point was just when you said that they don't care about the individual, you know, you, no, no, you made a very persuasive argument, but it's not the whole thing. semantics, which is the great Malcolm Tucker said, you know, what, what I call semantics, <laughs> whack. Because, you, yeah, I'm saying... Facebook doesn't really care about what you care about or in, it only cares in aggregate, right? And in a sense, you're right. Do they care about you as an individual if you are one of the number of many people on here? They do, but they still only care about you as a number, as a unit of a, a consumer unit. Basically, Facebook is the purest distillation of capitalism and people who are quite happy with capitalism elsewhere when it has a kind of softer edge are kind of freaked out by Facebook because Facebook is capitalist in tooth and claw. That's the issue. And yeah, I have loads of problems with capitalism, but people who gladly like jerk themselves silly over capitalism elsewhere, like look at Facebook and go, oh, this is terrible. It's just capitalism. I don't I don't know if I can jump in. I- I don't know if the whole just comparison of the of Facebook to the Stasi is is helpful because you know you don't have to possess evil intent to be dangerous, right? And and I really think that that's the that that's that's the worry, right? That's the that's the worry that is then highlighted and made very clear by you know the 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 stories that have come out from Channel Four about Cambridge Analytica. Everybody believes. I think I I I. I I'm completely with Mick. I mean, you know, Mark Zuckerberg wants to be rich, wants to make money. And, you know, the fact that he can kind of weave a cool mythology about the bigger things that we're doing in the world, you know, so that you can kind of, you know, get, you know, get off on, on, on feeling important. Fine. I don't really think that there's any malicious intent there, but that has nothing to do with, you know, by creating this platform and by the way that it's open and by the way that many aspects of how data is used and controlled uh, have been very lax, uh, it can't have uh, severe, unintended, uh, harmful public consequences, right? I mean, well, I, 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 I think that's really the, the, that's the conversation that we're having now. And, and then the solutions are about, well, so, you know, one, what does Facebook have to do there? What are its responsibilities so that, 
you know, these sort of harms, you know, that we don't need to depend upon their goodwill to keep society safe. So they've got a responsibility, you know, us as users probably have some kind of responsibility to, I don't know, yeah, to be more aware of, 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 of some of the potential risks to, you know, living our life online. Uh, and then probably, you know, government has some responsibility and legislators have a lot of power to say, you know, maybe, maybe what we need to do is stop relying upon Facebook voluntarily uh, sharing us information about who's buying ads in election season or, or only doing it when we request. I mean, maybe uh, we need to have regulations that, that make it possible to, to, to report and, you know, to have some kind of government oversight, just like we have regulators and oversight and all sorts of other media and traditional media, you know, so that there is this risk. We're clearly all going to keep using the tool and, and everybody's got to be part of, you know, being honest about and, and managing this risk. Now, I think, I think we need international that- regulation of it. I really do. Because I think, I think data flows across borders in a way that, that, um, like you know limited regional reg- reg- uh, regulation doesn't work well i lived in dublin for eight years and the trouble with the irish regime is the irish are so keen to have these big companies in ireland that just as they used to do sweetheart deals on tax they do kind of sweetheart deals on data they're not as tough as they should be the irish data regulator it's very weak around this stuff and that that's, that's I, I totally agree with you on that 100 mm, but i mean and the point that you had made earlier, Mick, about the GDPR, which is these new European regulations on sort of data privacy, also suggests that it might be possible for, you know, may, may, maybe not like totally obscure countries in the in the digital sphere, but but for some big regions like the EU to say, you know, you've got to comply with this, and and then everybody, you know, the Facebooks have to build in the functionality to abide by EU regulation, um, even if. Uh, they don't have to yet apply it and roll it out in other parts of the world. Well, I'm I'm going to have the, the last word on this. Um, if we're talking about um, regulation, uh, well, then we well then the nation state does definitely have a role, and we do need regulators. But then, if we're talking about supranational um, structures, it's a, it's an argument for bodies like like the EU, then isn't it? So Brexit yet again um, a bad thing. And on that note, <laughs> we're going to swiftly move on to our takeaways of the week. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. 
But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Uh, Mick, you you is big on the Twitters. So uh, your takeaway of the week, why don't you just tell us about the social media uh, that you use uh, and what, what you get from the platforms of that you well, use? I, I, yeah, I use Twitter a lot. And I, and I get a lot from Twitter because I, I inter- the thing is I, I, might, I don't have a massive filter bubble in that I do follow a load of people that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and that's good. Um, I use Facebook less. I use Facebook really to catch up with actual friends. But Twitter's been great professionally for me because I've met a load of interesting people from it. I think, you know, you and I only know each other from there initially. Um, And it's been really Mm. good for that in meeting people in the real world from there. So, yeah, but then I I have always been very willing to meet people in the real world. And I found, I think that people's self on Twitter particularly is very close to their actual self because eventually over thousands of tweets, it's very hard to hide what you're actually like. Mm, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Chris, how about you, sir? So uh, I'm a bit different because, you know, when was Facebook launched? Like 2007, maybe? No, it's before seven because it was just... 2005, it launched to the wider world, basically. Okay, so anyway, in in, in 2006, I moved to Beijing. uh, and, And I was living there for a few years. So, I mean, I didn't have access to Facebook. And when everybody was starting to use it... I, I, so my it's still today like my the the social media i use most is uh, wechat which is sort of the the chinese version of of whatsapp i guess um and i mean you, you don't just use it to communicate with friends you use, it's your wallet and everything and so when i came back to the west let's say in 2009 uh, i mean my my first impression was like okay i mean you guys can't do anything on social media. All you can do is talk to one another. I mean, how lame is that? Uh, so I, I just have a very different sort of starting point because I missed, I, I missed, you know, when everybody was on the kind of, you know, adoption curve, I missed that part. Um, so for me now, Facebook, uh, I mean, I never look at my news feed. Uh, I, I use Messenger for the people that only seem to talk on Messenger and that's how I have to reach them. Uh, and then uh, I do, I, I do use Twitter a lot, but I I have a, a friend who's a like a, a social media guru in in Canada, and you know I was sort of tweeting like stuff a very varying quality when I first started to use Twitter, and and uh, we met for lunch, and he took he, he put his shoulder he put his hands on my shoulders and looked me in the eyes, and he said, "Chris, stop hurting the world." <laughs> and, and and his point was like if you don't have anything good like you don't have any good shit to tweet, just don't. 
just don't tweet, right? And so, and I took that to heart. And so now, like, I I only tweet when I think I have something to share that that actually makes the world like I don't know a more a more comprehensible place. But I but I actively rein in the desire to you know join in the piling on the last thing Trump did today or whatever that is. And I just like okay, it, the world doesn't need me to pile on to. So I try to I try to be the the uh, the oasis of serenity in the Twitter. <laughs> I use it's a Facebook lonely oasis. Less. Let me just. <laughs> <laughs> I use Facebook less and less, and I've stopped at least two years ago from engaging with people politically um, on Facebook. And this would be friends. And I had, for me, one of the most disappointing. Well, I I had a proper set to with with somebody. A guy I went to school with a guy called Sai Him Lee of Chinese descent and he was railing against immigrants in in Birmingham Poles and and Eastern Europeans and and I just said dude 50 60 years ago um they would have said the same thing about our parents how can you say this these people are here to work and I and then all of a sudden he disappeared I just didn't see him in my feed and we're still friends and obviously Facebook then was becoming more and more sophisticated and realized that we di- we had nothing really really to talk about you know because our our interests w- w- were so different I didn't realize that realize that until about some 6 months or so afterwards you know why is it that notifications from side just never appear in in you know on, on my feed anymore and that's when I got you know nodded the wink a little about actually how Facebook really works and Conversely, even though I know that we should reach out to people that have uh, contrary views to us, that actually it just descends. There, there is something about social media which isn't built for civil discourse. Nuance is lost, and that's definitely the case with Twitter as opposed to Facebook, where Facebook you have you know an infinite amount of characters you can actually write. But the other thing, and I think the more the more pernicious thing for me about Facebook is the amount of in effect, envy and depression that there is around, uh, specifically Facebook, because we're editing. Though we obviously we all do it, the the version of ourselves which we put on the platform. And I remember reading a couple of articles about people just staring at their friends um, going on holidays and talking about their kids doing well at school when their kids weren't doing well at school and they couldn't post their pictures and they can't afford to go on holiday and the amount of anxiety around Facebook. So about a couple of years ago, I, I wrote a post and says, you know what, there, there's a lot of mental anguish around this thing. I, I, am, I am not posting um, much stuff anymore. So I'm tumbleweed on Facebook now where I used to be incredibly active. And, and that reading that story really hit home for me because there was one person I went to school with, a woman called Regina, I won't give a surname, but she was at school, she was incredibly hip and cool. And I remember about four years ago, she wrote a post about the fact that um, her husband had left her and she was lonely and hardly anybody commented. I didn't, I didn't know what to say. And then they, there, writ large, you could see there was somebody reaching out for help and people didn't know how to react. But then here's another cat video. Here, here is a, another picture of my kids, um, 
it, my kids just graduated from from Harvard or Cambridge or wherever, mm. you know, and it can be an incredibly isolating place. So mm. I do post I do post pictures of my family, never girlfriends um, on on Facebook. It's always my mum and my dad and my kids because I use it as a family album. I'm terrible on Twitter. I go through fits and starts because I'm dyslexic. I just my tweets do not come out well, and really. Instagram should be the medium uh, for me because I'm much more of a visual and, and a technical person. But I gravitate more towards Twitter because you know there's opinion formers and thinkers there, and I, and I struggle to keep up. So that's how I use social media. But I think I think great. I think Facebook is a utility, but there are great. There's a, a lot of social anxiety and sadness around Facebook. And um, and we've got to use it very wisely. On that note, folks, um, this has been um, a Mid-Atlantic. We've only dealt with one topic because it's uh, encompassed both sides of the Atlantic. Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. Um, uh, it's blown up whether you're in Washington, Seattle or Birmingham or Manchester. So it's a story which we can all um, we all have um, a handle on uh, this week Chris just before we go why don't you give us your social media bona fides and tell us what you're up to at the moment uh, right you can find me in my oasis of calm on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> at uh, Chris your fortress yeah that's right exactly at uh, Chris Katarna K-U-T-A-R-N-A um, or the best place to find me is just on my website katarna.net and kind of connect me to the the world of social media from there. Uh, main thing I'm working on these days is my next book, which is sort of how to beat Trump. So in stores in a year. Cool. How about you, uh, I'm at Broken Bottle Boy on Twitter. Find me there. It's all good. Um, yep. I'll be on Radio 4 on Thursday talking about uh, stuff we talked about here, but more at length and more historically. Otherwise, uh, also follow at Read the Means, which is the agency I run. And I'm working on a big piece about artificial intelligence and porn, which will come out soon. Yes. Fab. And if you can be bothered to read my ill-formed uh, tweets, you can catch me on Twitter, where I'm at Royfields, but R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. And as always, I'm producing podcast after podcast. Um, on the podcast, 10 American Presidents, I have just agreed to do a show with Jeff Sashol, who was one of President Clinton's chief uh, script writers. And we're going to be doing a show in the next month about great presidential speeches and the power of the bully pulpit. You can catch up with Mid-Atlantic on Twitter, where we are at Mid-Atlantic Show. You can go to Facebook, type in Mid-Atlantic Show, and you can see the the uh, progress of the show and what we are up to and don't forget show us your support for our left of centre do the right thing pinko communist enjoy and embrace humanity and diversity hashtag me too black life matters view of the world by writing us a review on a podcatcher of your choice go on do it you know it makes sense see you all again in a couple of weeks bye bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.